2: Braves have given your championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves, the world champions. Braves and baseball talk, straight from the diamond.
1: Here's Grab McCauley.
2: And hello and welcome to another edition of From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley, live from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio ninety two nine The Game. It is a Sunday morning as we continue our different trek through the day parts of Sundays. And we'll settle in nicely as we get into the month of April. And hopefully the temperatures warm up just a little bit because I'm here to tell you, it may be spring training. That may be happening right now down in Florida. That may be happening out in Arizona. It is not spring training weather here in the state of Georgia and Atlanta. I parked about two blocks away from the studios. I was walking in, and I'm glad I put on a lot of layers today because it is windy, it is cold. And if you're in Atlanta, you already know that. But if you're listening uh, to From the Diamond and the podcast form a little bit later on, let me just tell you, I can't confirm. It was cold in Atlanta on Sunday morning, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks it's going to warm up nicely. We'll get that baseball weather going. Got a lot of good stuff to get to on this week's edition of the show. Of course, we got all the Braves and baseball talk that we can cram into two hours. We always do that. And, of course, we want you to be connected on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. Like the show on Facebook. and find all the links you need for all the social, every episode of the podcast, articles, and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. This was a fascinating week, I think, for the Braves and Grapefruit League play. we got so many stories that we're going to talk about on the show, I think first and foremost. Really starting to shape up in that fifth spot of the rotation, that battle that we were talking about over the winter. We talked about it at the Braves Fan Fest. I went down to Northport a few weeks ago, got to talk to a lot of the guys that were going to be competing for those spots, and then a couple of Dark Horse candidates just rode in and really took over. And we got some big news this past week that's kind of shaking things up and We're going to dive into a lot of rotational talk here as the show goes on, but I just don't know that there's a bigger story right now in Braves Spring Training than Ian Anderson, Bryce Elder, both optioned to triple-A Gwinnett. We'll talk about the reasons why for that, and one of them is kind of procedural so that they could be available come opening day if they are needed, but either way, you know, both of them wanted to pitch a little bit better than they did and that's why they find themselves being optioned out. But then you have the emergence of two left-handed pitching prospects, and I think it never hurts in baseball to be left-handed as far as pitchers are concerned. Somebody's always going to be looking for you, and there's that old joke, if you're left-handed, can throw strikes, and you got a pulse, you might be able to pitch for two decades in the big leagues. Well, these guys are just trying to get their first year going, and that would be Jared Schuster, the Braves' former first-round pick from 2020, and Dylan Dodd, another lefty prospect who's really kind of been a heat-seeker in the last couple of years, just rising in those prospect ranks and showing off this spring training in a way that has been very impressive. If you didn't know who Dylan Dodd was, when pitchers and catchers reported around Valentine's Day, if you're a Braves fan, I think you're going to know who Dylan Dodd is if you don't already, but you might find out over the next couple of weeks, and heck, we might find out in the rotation once the Braves open the regular season later this month and into the month of April. So it's been a fascinating battle that has really shaped up with the guys that you thought were going to be at the forefront of all of that have kind of faded to the back of the pack with Anderson and Elder both optioned. And Michael Sirocco, who is making some strides towards getting back on the mound and getting into some action at some point here in Fruit League play, he has been beset by injury the last couple of years. And we're just looking forward to the day when Mike Sirocco becomes less of an if and more of a win. and hopefully he's moving towards that. In addition to some positional battles that are going on these next 10 days, we got some familiar faces that are looking for bounce-back seasons, ways to get back to the players that they have shown that they are and the players that the Braves very much need them to be. And I speak, of course, of the young duo, the tandem that is pretty much synonymous, I think, with Braves baseball. Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies. Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. You can't have one without the other. You don't discuss one, typically, without the other either. And we're going to talk about both of them as the show goes on and kind of preview and hear from each of them what their season outlook is for 2023. Ronald Acuna Jr. dealing with the comeback from that knee injury last year just never seemed like himself. Meanwhile, Ozzie... He might have walked into last year healthy, but he certainly was unable to maintain his health over the course of 162. Really a lost year for him. But if you've had a chance to see Ozzie Albies, hear Ozzie Albies talk you know, interviews and whatnot, or just kind of be around him when he is around this club, there's an energy and a positivity that goes with him. And even in the face of those injuries last year, it didn't seem like it changed his overall outlook. And if you had any questions about it, you know, talking to him over the last couple of months, it seems like he is just trying to control what he can control. And He's worked hard to get himself healthy and get through that broken foot, the broken finger. He had a shoulder operation over the course of the offseason to help clean up that shoulder and get his arm maybe back to where he'd like it to be. And, you know, hopefully we're going to see Ozzy Albies be back to the player that he was in 2021 or 2019, 2018. I mean, he's had some big seasons. And I think that it kind of gets lost in the, in the afterglow of some of the other big moments and, and big players that the Braves have Ronald Acuna Jr. Being one of them, yep, Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley over the course of Albies career have also you know, put up big numbers and been, kind of central focus. Michael Harris exploded onto the scene last year. So sometimes I feel like Ozzy kind of gets pushed not to the back of the pack, but kind of maybe somewhere in the middle. But this is a second baseman with some serious extra base hit power, run production. And if he's able to do the things that he has done throughout the course of his career, think about how much the Braves didn't get from second base last year. Now imagine that they're getting that. And then I want you to do it again for right field because Ronald Acuna Jr. was not the guy that we had come to expect From his rookie season on and his flirting with 40-40 in the 2019 season, a little bit banged up in 2020, but he still had some moments. 2021, he was on an MVP trajectory, and then it was the ACL that not only took away that season for him, that chance to be a part of the Braves World Series run, but it also really hampered him in 2022. So we're going to hear from both of those guys and take a look at what their season could be this year and what the Braves are hoping that it's going to be, and that would be perhaps a career year for both of them. That would certainly be helpful. We're also going to continue our look across the National League East. We've got a preview series going here on From the Diamond. And we're going to look at the Washington Nationals this week. And Mark Zuckerman of Mastin is going to join the show a little bit later. The Washington Club, they are in the midst of a rebuild. They have made some trades that have brought some talents over. They've had to say goodbye to a lot of household names up there. And I think that if you are a Braves fan and you are looking at what the Nationals are going through right now, and you think about not too long ago, the Atlanta Braves went through this as well. They had to trade away a lot of their big names and really start to build that farm system and then try to bring in the right players, the right veterans, and hopefully some of these guys develop into stars. And that happened many times over for the Atlanta Braves. That's a big reason why they've won the division for five consecutive years and won that World Series in 2021. So we're going to talk to Mark Zuckerman about where the Washington Nationals see themselves in 2023. It's hard to, I think, get overly excited about it if you are a Nationals fan. However there is that opportunity that the youth can come in and start to take those strides forward. We talked about the Miami Marlins. I think they're a little bit further along, but both of these clubs are clearly going to be trying to play a serious game of catch-up between the Braves, and then you've got the Philadelphia Phillies coming off a World Series appearance. They went out and spent a lot of money over the offseason, and you can't talk about spending money without bringing up Steve Cohen and the New York Mets, because they certainly spent more money than just about anybody we've ever seen And don't seem to show any signs of stopping, and they're doing all of that to try to unseat the Atlanta Braves atop the National League East. Also, the World Baseball Classic has been going on. I think a lot of us probably enjoyed some of the action that was going on uh, last night in particular. Team USA, a dramatic comeback win. It took a grand slam by Trey Turner. Speaking of former Nationals, a guy who has terrorized the Atlanta Braves over the course of his career, well... I think the Venezuelan club learned that you can't bring in a former Braves pitcher to pitch to Trey Turner because he deposited a grand slam, a go-ahead home run over the left field wall and put Team USA really on his back. And a 9-7 victory will send the U.S. into the semifinals, a matchup with Cuba. On the other side, you've got Mexico and Japan are going to be squaring off as well. But in the midst of the World Baseball Classic, we've seen a lot of stories that have cropped up over the last couple of weeks and some of them unfortunately have had a lot to do with injury which we're going to get into a little bit later as well Edwin Diaz lost for the season for the New York Mets after tearing up his knee Jose Altuve was hit by a pitch may have a broken thumb the Astros are potentially going to be without their all-star second baseman a big part of their club and no club and no fan base wants to hear about losing players before the season even gets started but I don't think that that should take away from the excitement and the possibility that this tournament does offer the game of baseball on the whole and that's something we can get into later as well but There are some good stories that have come out of this. There are players that are going to find opportunity from this to begin their pro careers in Major League Baseball. And then there are guys like Shlomo Lippitz. You might be wondering, who in the world is Shlomo Lippitz? And we're going to talk about that later in the show. A 44-year-old Israeli pitcher, the only pitcher on Team Israel who was actually born in Israel. I think that's important to point out as well. This is a guy who has been playing baseball on their national team since he was 10 years old. He continues to play baseball in a men's league in New York to keep himself ready and he loves international play. And oh, by the way, baseball is not his only focus. This guy's also successful off the field, but his story and his path to get to the major leagues is probably not one that we're going to hear about. But to get to the world baseball classic and face off against some of the major leagues best talent, I thought that was fascinating. Jake Mentz of his Family Barbecue is going to join me later on. He wrote a great article for Fox Sports about Slomo Lippets. Again. Crazy name, even crazier story. I think you're going to enjoy hearing about that. We're going to get into it on the show as well. Those are all the things that are coming up here on this edition of From the Diamond. I'm excited to bring all of those to you, and we're going to step aside and then come on back and get our Braves talk started because we have positional battles. That's what's happening. A surprising twist in the battle for the fifth spot in the Braves rotation. A couple of names that you know really well, well, they've been optioned. A couple of names you need to know, they seem to be center stage in this positional battle. We'll talk about those prospects who are making it very interesting next on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more From the Diamond. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Live from the Kia Studios here on a Sunday morning. Appreciate you joining me as always. And make sure if you enjoy From the Diamond and you maybe want to take it on the go, That you just subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also find it on the Odyssey app. And, of course, 92.9thegame.com. You can find a large lineup of a whole bunch of great audio. So I encourage you to check that out as well. Speaking of lineups, or well, let's start with rotations instead. The Atlanta Braves come in with, I think, a very good rotation, one through four. But we already knew that. You got Cy Young runner-up Max Freed. You've got a 20-game winner in Kyle Wright who looks like he should be healthy for the start of the season in case there was any lingering question about that. It seems like Wright is taking some steps forward. You've got the Rookie of the Year runner-up in Spencer Strider who had a historical strikeout season as he exploded onto the scene in 2022. And he's going to be around for a long time after signing that big extension. So you feel pretty good about that top three Then your fourth starter is a veteran Charlie Morton, a great postseason pitcher, a guy who's been known to strike out a batter or three per inning himself. So I think one through four, you have to feel pretty good about that. But we knew coming into the season that there was going to be some question, at least, about where the Braves were going to turn for their fifth starter. But you didn't feel like there was a lack of candidates at any point. I still don't think that anybody does. But the names that are being focused on now at this point, I think, have changed from just even a month ago. When it came into spring training, as Braves pitchers and catchers reported back around Valentine's Day, you had Ian Anderson, who was looking to come off a bounce-back season and hopefully reestablish himself into the rotation. That was one story, one candidate. You had Bryce Elder, who gave the Braves some really important innings down the stretch last year and had himself a nice little uh, you know, first introduction to the majors across 10 appearances, nine of those starts, and again, a couple of big ones down the stretch. And then you had the comeback story because I think every great positional battle needs a comeback story, and this one is for a 25-year-old pitcher who wasted no time in being not only a rookie of the year runner-up and an all-star, but was the Braves' opening day starter in 2020, which is not altogether that long ago, though it might feel like at times it was forever ago because we have not seen Michael Soroka on a big league mound since August of 2020 when he tore his Achilles for the first time. Then as soon as he was kind of starting to ramp up and able to – get out of that boot and resume baseball activities. He re-tore that same Achilles, and this has caused him the better part of a couple of years. But he did get onto a minor league mound last year six times, which I think was a huge deal. And I talked to Michael about this, and he said a chance to knock off the rust, a chance to remember what it's like to compete, and to hopefully come into spring training ready to compete for that fifth starter spot and, and reclaim his career, get it back on track. And then right before he reports to spring training, a hamstring injury takes Soroka out of the running for the fifth starter. So all of a sudden, your top three candidates, at least the ones on paper, which the game, I assure you, is not played on, those are the guys that are not going to be really in the picture or are not in the picture right now. Instead, it's not one but two left-handed pitching prospects, the first of which is a first-rounder in Jared Schuster, a name that you might be familiar with. He was drafted back in 2020 out of Wake Forest and reached AAA last year, and you felt like if you're a first-round pick and you throw pretty well in the minors, as Schuster has, and you've got a pitch like his change-up that can miss a lot of bats, then you're going to have a chance, I think, to you know, crack that rotation at some point, you hope. But the Braves had an awful lot of depth, so it didn't look like this spring was going to be the time for Jared Schuster. And the same could be said for Dylan Dodd. And Dylan Dodd is a, an interesting name, that has just exploded onto the scene, onto the into the headlines, as far as his fifth starter battle is going on because he just won't give up runs. He doesn't walk guys. He doesn't give up very many hits. He certainly doesn't give up a whole bunch of home runs. And that was, I think the line of delineation between Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd and what we were seeing out of Ian Anderson, as far as the control problems were concerned and Bryce Elder and and both of those guys trying to keep the ball in the ballpark and not having the opportunity to see Michael Soroka on a mound. So Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd have pitched their way in to the Braves, it looks like, rotational plans here over the first few weeks of the season at the very least. And I can remind you that you're not going to get through the season with just five starting pitchers, and we're going to find that out maybe sooner than later. But four appearances for Jared Schuster. He's allowed one run in 12 and two-thirds innings, just five hits, only two walks, and 16 strikeouts for him. Opponents hitting 119 against Jared Schuster this spring. Not to be outdone, Dylan Dodd has made four appearances, tossed 13 innings. He struck out 15 batters, walked just two, and he also has allowed just one run in his spring training work. So you look at these two guys and you think, okay, well, those numbers look great. But then I can tell you from covering baseball for a long time and being a fan for even longer than that, spring training numbers are not what you build your legacy on. But when you are looking to either win a job, prove that you have made the changes that you need to make, in the case of, say, Ian Anderson – these results and these numbers they start to mean just a little bit more, and the reason why is because you have to show that you can be the pitcher who gets outs. And for Ian Anderson in seven and a third innings, he walked eight batters and hit another. He allowed three home runs across his three Grapefruit League appearances, and I just don't feel like the Braves could afford to allow Ian Anderson to continue to work through things and get right at the major league level. And that you know, and part of this story for a lot of major league players is. Sometimes you have to take that step back and go and kind of reclaim your career, and that's what Ian Anderson is going to try to do. There's a little less story involved in Bryce Elder, because I don't think Bryce Elder needs to go make wholesale changes to his mechanics. He doesn't need to go find a third pitch. He just needs to be able to pitch consistently every fifth day, and sometimes you come out in spring training, you throw a couple of clunkers, and you just don't have a whole lot more opportunity, and the club just doesn't have more time to allow you to pitch through these things. Now, we'll say for both of these, as we continue to chat about the Braves' fifth rotation spot here on From the Diamond on 92.9 The Game, Grant McCauley with you. The one thing that I think you have to look at is procedural roster moves that have to be made in order to have a pitcher available. Major League Baseball changed this a couple of years ago because we used to see the Braves bring up an arm and then option him back down, and then bring up another one and option him back down, and so on and so forth. We just kept seeing this. I, I called it the Gwinnett Shuttle. Just to get a fresh arm into the bullpen, bring up a starter for that day's game, option him back, bring him back another reliever. Well, Major League Baseball didn't, I think, love that. And the Braves weren't the only team that was doing it, trying to get you know an extra arm, a fresh arm, basically every day or every other day. So now when you option a player down, they have to sit for two weeks unless there's an injury. And, of course, you could put somebody on the injured list that would take that pitcher out of your plans for the time that he's on the IL. But it's to discourage the practice of bringing players back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When you option them down, you don't use an option every single time. It's an option year. So once they have been optioned, you have used one of their three options. And I believe the fact that Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder had options available just allowed the Braves to not think outside the box because they already were looking at Schuster and Dodd very seriously. But I think that this really underscores the idea of who are the best 26 players and bring those best 26 players north from Florida with you and go into the regular season with it. We saw something similar in 2019 when the Braves broke camp with Kyle Wright in their rotation and also Bryce Wilson. Now, those guys didn't get a lot of turns that year. They both ended up playing a very important role in 2020 to help the Braves out in getting to the National League Championship Series. But Kyle Wright was still trying to establish himself this time a year ago. He was looking to win a spot in rotation. So a lot of things can change inside of a year, I guess, is one thing that I would say from all of this. And that could be true for Ian Anderson Uh, It could be true for Bryce Elder, Dylan Dodd, Jared Schuster, Michael Soroka, and pitchers that we're not mentioning right now that we could see at some point from the Braves minor league system over the course of 2023. And one of the interesting things that I found in doing a lot of homework, as you know that I do, about the Braves, their rotational battle, and just the general roster moves that are going to be made is that if you look at Dylan Dodd and Jared Schuster and Ian Anderson and Bryce Elder and Michael Soroka, these five players – are separated in age by about 11 months, which is pretty crazy. When you think about Soroka came to the big leagues in 2018, that's five years ago. So obviously his career has taken one path. Ian Anderson was drafted out of high school, made his debut in 2020, in large part because Michael Soroka got hurt. And then Bryce Elder came up and tried to help the Braves in rotation last year and did, I believe, a couple of different times. They, they turned to him, and particularly down the stretch, he threw, a, I think, a trio of big starts against the Nationals and the Marlins. And those, no, that's not the 27 Yankees. But Bryce Elder was out there dealing, and it was a a big help as the Braves were trying to track down the Mets and win the National League East last year. And then you've got a couple of names that just haven't been able to establish themselves. And I think above all of these, Ian Anderson's postseason success should give you some hope that he's going to be able to figure this whole thing out. So that's kind of what's going on in the rotational battle right now. The names that you thought you knew and the names that you did know and the names that you may have expected to be the Braves' fifth starter, one of the three, well, they're now taking a backseat to a couple of prospects and Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd, who threw the last couple of days, by the way, and they continue to one-up one another. And with 10 days to go in spring training, I don't know that there's a wrong answer to which one of these guys could be the Braves' fifth starter when, in fact, they do call on a fifth starter. And we'll see exactly when that is. Now, also happening in Braves' camp is that shortstop battle, which, at least for the first three weeks, it seemed to be pretty heavily in the corner of Vaughn Grissom. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I haven't seen anything from the games that I've been able to watch that Vaughn Grissom has played thus far in Fruit League play. And from talking to Vaughn and, and talking to Brian Snitker and, and, and others, you know, and teammates down there in Northport a few weeks ago, that would make me believe that Vaughn Grissom has done anything to lose the starting shortstop job. He knew he had to come to camp and earn it, and Vaughn pretty much went about the business over the winter working with Ron Washington, trying to put himself in the best possible position to do that. But if you look over the last five days... I find it interesting that Vaughn Grissom has not played shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. Now, he has been in action as a DH, but he has not been out on the field at the position which he's trying to win for the regular season. And it's just a little bit odd when you look at the timing of all of it to see Vaughn not just sharing starts, not alternating starts, but losing playing time to not one but two different players right now. Because Braden Shoemake, who was a first-rounder for the Braves, a sandwich pick back in 2019, he's all of a sudden come to spring kind of a, a new player with a new lease on life. And he might have been the guy that got called up last year when Orlando Arcia went down for a couple of weeks and Vaughn Gritsom got that call because Braden Shoemaker had injured his knee and was not going to be available. So one guy goes down, loses his opportunity, and the opportunity goes to somebody else. It's a story as, as old as time. And in baseball, it's one of the stories we hear all the time. But now Braden Shoemake's coming in. He's on basing about a 400 clip defensively. I don't know that there's a ton of difference between Shoemake and Vaughn Grissom. I think that Shoemake might be a little bit more polished. Neither one of them do I think are necessarily going to be gold glove finalists this year, but they're certainly capable with the glove. I think Vaughn Grissom's bat has a higher upside, so you, you trying to balance those things out. And we've seen Vaughn Grissom at the big league level. We haven't seen Braden Shoemake at the major league level, but he has not necessarily lit the world on fire offensively down in AAA or down in the minor leagues in general. So you just kind of wonder, but when the Braves drafted him, the contact skills, the ability to maybe play a few different positions is also helpful, though the Braves don't really need a super utility guy when you've got somebody starting at all of the infield positions other than shortstop, and your outfield is also pretty set. You don't need somebody to be bouncing around all the time because they're not going to get that much playing time in terms of starts, but yeah, being versatile, it can be helpful, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case for Braden Shumake to make the club, but Von Grissom's hitting well over 300 this spring. He has looked very good. But for the fifth consecutive day, as we talk on Sunday morning, Von Grissom is not in the Braves' starting lineup as the shortstop. So I'm fascinated to see what Braden Schumake is able to do with the playing time that he is getting here down the stretch because he was a name that seemed like he could have debuted last year had an injury not kept him out. And then you've got Orlando Arcia, who I've talked about this a lot, is a very nice complementary player. He got some starting time with the Milwaukee Brewers, back in 2000 and what, the, the late 20-teens. But it seemed right, right about the time that he got traded over to the Braves that the Brewers had pretty much decided this is not our everyday shortstop. They went out and got Willie Adamas, and, and they made a change there. And Orlando arcia has got some power. He's got a great arm, but not necessarily the most range. But could he play the shortstop level, or excuse me, shortstop at the big league level and hold down that position in the bottom of the Braves' order because Atlanta's they, they're going to hit. I got to tell you that. The Braves are going to hit. Could Orlando Arcia? you know, reclaim a starting job. It seemed like a long shot in spring training. And I don't think at any point that was ever the ideal scenario that our win this job. I think Von Grissom in the ideal world would be a guy they'd like to turn to here in addition to perhaps, you know, reassessing shortstop at some point over the course of the season if they decided they wanted to go out and make a trade or make some kind of move for somebody who's outside the organization. But I say all that to say, all of a sudden here, coming down to the wire, we've got another interesting battle that is not necessarily being headlined by the name that we thought was going to be at the top of the chart. I'm not telling you Vaughn Grissom's lost the job, but I'm telling you the Braves are taking a really close look at the other candidates here with about 10 days to go before opening day. And that, I think, is just worth noting as we you know, draw closer and closer to March 30th when the Braves and Nationals will begin the regular season. Speaking of the Washington Nationals, we're going to continue here on From the Diamond with a preview of this Washington club. It's not necessarily one that's going to be biting at the heels of the Braves or the Phillies or the New York Mets uh, for supremacy in the National League this year, but it is a club that is in the midst of a rebuild, and one of the National League's foes the Braves know all too well. So we are going to take a good look at what the Nationals have in store for 2023, and to help me do that, I'm going to be chatting with Mark Zuckerman of Masson Sports. He covers the Nationals up there. And we're going to have a great conversation about what's going on with the Washington Club as we continue on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond. And welcome back into From the Diamond with Grant McCauley here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We continue with both our Braves and baseball talk with our National League East preview series. And we turn our attention to another of the Braves rivals in this division. This one, of course, is the Washington Nationals. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, just what to expect from these clubs and wanted to bring in some people who cover them on a daily basis. I've got Mark Zuckerman with me. He covers the Nationals and writes for Mass and Sports, and he also has a great podcast, Nats Chat is the name of that. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark Zuckerman. Mark, appreciate you making some time and look forward to talking about a Nationals team that I think is in transition right now, but there may or may not be a few bright spots that we're going to touch on, so I'm excited to talk about it with you.
1: Yeah, uh, Grant, if we had done this about three years ago, very different story (laughs) than where we're at right now. I guess for Nats fans, they can still cling to those memories from three years ago, and that's helping soften the blow a little
2: bit. Hey, as they say, flags fly forever. So I, I think that as long as you don't have to go decades waiting for one, I think you can enjoy it for a little while, especially three, four, five years at the very minimum. But as you mentioned, like we've seen a lot of things in the National League East in a very short amount of time. The Nationals won the World Series in 2019. The Braves did it in 2021. The Phillies got there in 2022. And that's not even mentioning the mountain of money that looks like Steve Cohen's going to throw into the Mets to get his club to the mountaintop as well. The Nationals now, though, waist deep in a rebuild. That's a place the Braves weren't too terribly long ago either, but it feels like this wasn't necessarily something that Washington was quite ready to do. How much changed in 2020 and 2021 that maybe expedited
1: that process? Yeah, it did. They thought after winning the World Series that they still had a window. They knew it wasn't going to last forever, but they thought that, that core group could still make another run or two at it when you had a, a team still with Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Juan Soto, they thought they were still well positioned for a little while and then not that everyone wasn't hurt by the pandemic but i really do think the timing of when that all went down in 2020 they lost that honeymoon year Mm -hmm. that you get from winning a world series all the revenue that comes with the attention everything they lost it zero fans in the 2020 season the team didn't play well in that weird season they tried to go at it again in 2021 Again, in D.C., the regulations were stricter. They were only allowed 5,000 fans to start the year. And it was, I think, some point in June before they finally were allowed to have a full house again. They went on a little bit of a run. Remember Kyle Schwarber went red hot in the month of June. They thought, okay, here we go. This is going to happen. And then July of 2021, anything you could imagine that could go wrong went wrong. Schwarber pulls his hamstring. Strasburg gets hurt, ultimately needs thoracic outlet surgery, which has destroyed his career they blew a bunch of games. The next thing you know, they're at the trade deadline in 2021. And Mike Rizzo is looking at this and saying, we don't realistically think we have a chance to win this year. Max Scherzer is about to be a free agent. Trey Turner is a year and a half away. Doesn't seem to be on the same page with us as far as an extension. We have a farm system that's depleted. Here's our chance to try to do something about that. So they did. That was the first step in it. And then you saw the big step, of course, last year, when they got to a point where they realized that they weren't going to be re-signing Juan Soto, at least not anytime soon. And again, a farm system that was very depleted. And let's be clear, it was of their own doing. Right. Over the last decade or so, they did not draft and develop, certainly not to the extent the Braves have done. And because of that, they felt that trading Soto was their best way to restock that farm system and give them a chance here in a few years.
2: Yeah, and it's a difficult decision, and it rebuilds it, offers an opportunity to focus on some great young talents, but there's also the acquisition process of getting those, not just drafting, developing, but ultimately, in the case of the Nationals, also trading in order to maybe jumpstart this process. So Juan Soto, I thought, brought back a good package from the San Diego Padres. The Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal, I I feel like that did as well. At least a couple of players that could be part of this rebuild. Who do you have your eye on from maybe those players or perhaps some other prospects for the Nationals that could take a step forward in 2023 and maybe establish themselves
1: in the not-too-distant future? My takeaway from it all was I I sort of realized you don't get legitimate prospects for rental players. You've got to have guys with multiple years of control and star players. Like Max Scherzer alone wasn't going to get them Caber Ruiz and Josiah Gray. Who they got. They had to include Trey Turner in that trade, and I think it ultimately could benefit the Nationals. Caber Ruiz looks like a stalwart franchise catcher is going to be here for a long time. They just yeah. signed him to an extension for fifty million dollars, mm-hmm. the kind of thing the Braves have been doing here for years with their young guys, and it thrilled Nationals fans. They able to do that. Um, Josiah Gray, we'll still see what he becomes. Probably a mid-rotation starter is what he's ultimately going to be. The Soto trade is the one that everyone, you know, in the know says they got as big a haul as you could possibly imagine five prospects. Now, let's see. Nobody's proven yet. Uh, Mackenzie Gore and CJ Abrams are at the big league level now. Gore, they're hoping is a number one or number two starter for them for a long time. And Abrams, an Atlanta area kid, they believe is going to be a dynamic everyday shortstop for them for a long time. The bigger prospects or the higher ceiling prospects are actually still down in the minors that they got from that trade. James Wood is a huge outfielder with all kinds of ability. He's at single A, so it's going to be a few years harley and susana is a pitcher they got in that trade he was 18 at the time he throws 103 but again long way to go (laughs) until we really know for sure and then the one who we might see before the end of the year is robert hassel It's another outfielder not as high of a ceiling as maybe james wood but a good contact hitter maybe can play center field in the big league so we might see him before it's all said and done combine that with some of their recent first round picks and you know they see a path to where this could go now of course you need it all to pan out we know it doesn't always work out that way so the best thing they can do is keep stockpiling as many of them as possible because you know that only a certain percentage of them are actually going to pan out
2: yeah you stockpile and stockpile and then when you think you're done stockpiling you do a little bit more of it i think that's really what the braves did so well Uh, This is from the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, chatting with Mark Zuckerman, who covers the Washington Nationals for Masson, as part of our NLE's preview series. And as we talk about minor leaguers and making an impact, the Nationals had a really great story last summer involving a former Braves farmhand. Joey Manessas slugged his way through the second half of 2022. He's provided an encore in the World Baseball Classic if you needed one of those. But when you talk about coming out of nowhere and making an impression, I would say Joey certainly did that. How exciting was that story to cover? Because I know in a tough season, you're looking for stories, and Joey Manessas was nothing short of a great story.
1: Yeah, at a time when everything around the organization was at a low point emotionally when you trade away Juan Soto and realize the ramifications of that, immediately that first night, This kid, I'm calling him a kid. He's 30 years old. Homers in his first major league game, and then goes on to be like legitimately one of the best hitters in baseball the rest of the season. Now, it's only a two month sample, so you don't know, but he did everything you could ask of him. And you started to see pitchers adjusting to him, throwing breaking balls away, and he would just hit him to right field, take his singles, hit him back up the middle. He seems to have a plan. He knows what he's doing up there. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, I mean, he is the focal point of their lineup for better or worse. Um, he's probably their number three hitter. I think he's going to DH for now because they have Dominic Smith now at first base and Lane Thomas in right field. Maybe a little bit of time in the field, depending on how it goes. But he's a guy that they're now building around remarkably, and they think that it's legit. And It's so crazy to think he put up good numbers in the minor leagues, wasn't a huge prospect, uh, but he was stuck for a long time. And really, even though he had a very good first four months uh, last year at AAA for the Nationals, they had no visions of calling him up. They had Josh Bell at first base, Juan Soto in right field. Those are their two best players. It took that trade. And if if they don't make that trade, Joey Manessis maybe never gets called up. Right, He becomes a free agent again at the end of the year. Who knows where he goes at this point? It, it's really a remarkable story and such a feel-good thing. And it's been fun to watch the guys in camp this spring vicariously living through him as he's now becoming an international sensation for Mexico and the WBC. They've had a blast watching that.
2: Yeah, and it's so cool to watch because I've spent a lot of time going around to different stops along the minor league system for the Atlanta Braves, and you'll see somebody, and you'll talk to some different scouts and managers, and they'll say, okay, well, this is a kid to keep an eye on. Then you'll kind of go look at the prospect lists, and they may or may not appear on there, and Joey Manessis, he didn't. But you always heard, like, this guy's got a pretty good bat, but it didn't really show up in the power department until the last couple of years. And now it has uh, been part of writing a great story for him of making it to the big leagues and persevering throughout that minor league career. And you're right. It's kind of the butterfly effect of the different things that have to happen in order for some careers to be launched. And for Joey Manessis, I'm sure he doesn't mind that trade, giving him that opportunity. And now he's going to come up and hopefully give the Nationals some punch in the middle of their lineup for the at least the foreseeable future, if not for a little while here. But as you look at the Washington club over the last couple of years and some of the things that went wrong, I mean, injury was a central storyline. And unfortunately, it's been the central storyline for Steven Strasburg's career since signing his seven-year, $245 million contract after being a huge part of the 2019 World Series club. I believe he was the MVP in that series. He's already suffered a setback this year. So, uh, Mark, I, I just am curious. Is there a chance that we never see Steven Strasburg pitch again? Because it's really started to compound and you just have to kind of wonder.
1: Yeah, it is trending in that direction. Nobody wants to come out and just you know officially say that. Yeah. But you're talking about a guy who we said had that thoracic outlet surgery summer of 2021. And we know how devastating that is for a pitcher. It used to be Tommy John. That now, as hard as that is, you have an idea. Okay, a year later, you should be back to full strength. And a lot of guys, including Strasburg, have a very good career beyond that. Yep. The TOS surgery is a far less stable situation where there's just not that clear-cut timeline and not the track record of guys coming back from it. And you think about everything he's gone through over his career, there's a lot that's been done to his arm to try to keep him around and get him to the point where he could dominate in 2019 and win the World Series MVP. So, he thought he was over it. He came back and made one start last summer in Miami. The results weren't great, but he legitimately like the way he felt coming out of that start. And then it was only a few days later, he gets back in the bullpen and he felt something didn't feel right. Uh, he wound up having a stress fracture in one of his ribs. They shut him down, tried to start it up again this winter. Everything felt good and all the throwing progression, but deep down, everybody knew at some point he's going to have to start throwing off a mound with velocity and what's going to happen then. Yeah. And sure enough, it happened and he never even made it to West Palm Beach. So Nobody's saying anything yet. I mean, he's under contract for another 4 years, so it's not like they're in a rush and have to do this, but I think there is a growing sense around the organization that, you know, the odds of him making it all the way back are pretty slim and it's kind of up to him now what he wants to do, how far he's willing to try to take this in an attempt to come back.
2: Yeah, and we've seen a lot of dynamic big-time prospects that have come up in say the last, I don't know, 20 or 25 years. If I'm making a short list, I think the debut of Steven Strasburg and all of the fanfare that came with that, I mean, this might have been one of, and in all respect to Bryce Harper, who was also around at that same general time, Steven Strasburg may have been one of the most hyped prospects ever. And so that sets the bar incredibly high. Putting the injuries aside, I would say in getting over Tommy John and coming back, he had a very good career, but there just really is no way to be able to handicap, you know, for lack of a better term how somebody's physicality is going to age. And for Strasburg, unfortunately, it seems like here in his early 30s, it's just really broken down on him. And it goes from being a top prospect to one of the better right-handed pitchers in baseball to a World Series hero to now just kind of wondering if he's not going to pitch again or if he will pitch again. It just seems like it's just kind of gone from bad to worse of late for him and is a microcosm of kind of how things, I guess, have gone for the Nationals since 2019 and falling on some very hard times.
1: I'm glad you said what you did, though, about his career. And I think there's a perception among some out there that he's somehow a bust no. or that he never lived up to what he was supposed to be. And yes, there are plenty of injuries, but I'm looking at his stat page right now. Career 113 and 62 record, 3.24 ERA, 247 career starts and 1,400 innings pitched and then dominant in the postseason and one World Series MVP. I know he missed a lot of time. I know that contract extension that he wound up getting after the World Series, just the fortuitous timing on his part to have a career year right before he could opt out and essentially get, you know, hold them hostage to give him whatever he wanted. It's going to make that look like a bust, but here's a guy who had a really good career. And when he was on the mound and healthy, he was as good as anybody. And I think you look at all the pitchers drafted number one overall in the history of the draft. I think he's something like fourth or fifth all time in war among those. So could he have been more? Yes, if he had stayed healthy, but He was really, really good when he was out there, and I think he was out there more than people tend to realize.
2: Yeah, it's incredible to be both a a success story and also one of baseball's perhaps great what-ifs as well. Typically, that does not happen, but for Steven Strasburg, I think he has walked uh, quite a line and had quite a career. Wrapping up with Mark Zuckerman here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I hate to end on just injuries galore, but news this week, unfortunately for the Nationals, that another top arm Cade Cavalli will miss the entire season undergoing Tommy John surgery. He seemed primed to play a role this year, perhaps sooner than later anyway. How does Washington fill that hole on the pitching staff? Because I know there were already plenty of questions outside of Steven Strasburg to round out the top five and and really put together that whole staff.
1: Yeah, this is a pretty big blow for them. He and Mackenzie Gore kind of thought of as the one-two of the future. They were really excited to see both of them pitching all year long here. And it never even got to that point. He looked great the other day against the Mets. And then the last pitch he threw was a changeup. It went way out of the zone. He started shaking his arm, pacing around the mound. And you just kind of had that sinking feeling. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it reminded me, it took me back in time to 2010 when Steven Strasburg was a rookie. He had about 10 great starts, became the phenomenon through one pitch. It was a changeup at Philadelphia, shook his arm. They came out to check on him. Next thing you know, he had Tommy John surgery and changed the course of his career. So it did remind me of that. It's a big blow for them, certainly for this year. The idea, though, would be he's 24 years old. He'll come back next year healthy. We know this team isn't trying to win this year. I don't think it necessarily totally disrupts their timeline for contention and the rebuild if he comes back strong next year and he and Gore and Josiah Gray are the foundation of a rotation. You know, I think they can be okay in the long run. But it's a tough pill to swallow for everyone who, you know, if you're trying to grasp to things to be excited about the nationals this year, their young players is number one. And the young pitching, I think in particular, was the thing that most people were excited about. So Now, all of a sudden, we're not even going to get to see him pitch this year. That, that's a tough blow for everyone to, yeah, have definitely, to accept.
2: Definitely a tough blow. Mark, I appreciate all of your time. He's Mark Zuckerman. He covers the Nationals and writes for Masson. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mark Zuckerman. and Also, check out the Nats Chat podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. He was kind enough to join me for a few minutes to talk about the Washington Nationals Outlook for 2023 as part of the NLE's preview series here on From the Diamond. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for the time. I enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can chat again before the season's over. Uh, My thanks, Grant. That's two teams down on our NLE's preview here on From the Diamond with Grant McCauley. Don't go anywhere. Much more Braves and baseball talk coming your way right here on Sports Radio 929 the game. Back to Grant McCauley for more From the Diamond. And welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley at Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, live from the Kia Studios, always streaming on the Odyssey app as well. Hope you're checking us out there, all those places. And as always, if you have missed anything on the show, which we like to pack a lot into the two hours here, you can subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. Also, thediamond.com for a lot of useful links and social media, all that good stuff. You can follow me at Grant McCauley, though. That's the short version of it. And the too-long-didn't-read version is Diamond.com. Go ahead and check that out. I mean, uh, nonetheless, let's look at the World Baseball Classic, which has kind of been center stage in the baseball world here at a time in which for so many years and for so long, if you're a traditionalist, which many baseball fans are, uh, though the new game, I think, adds so much uh, in in different layers and nuances and excitement and, and flavor. And all of that, I think, is on display in the World Baseball Classic. But for so long, March was just this time where everybody went through the motions and they got ready. And then you get into the baseball season, which in and of itself... Is a bit of a marathon, a bit of a grind, 162 times is what you have to do it in order to get another month's worth of play if you do it all right, all the way down to the end. And the beauty of baseball is, at least in my mind, is there's a new game every single day until there's not. And that, of course, is baseball season in a nutshell. But as far as the World Baseball Classic, we knew it was going to be two weeks, 20 teams, four different continents, and in the end there was only going to be one winner. And I think we were just hoping to see some of the great stars of baseball on display I talked with Sean Spradling last week. You can check it out in the archives, again, from the Diamond, wherever you get your podcast, about this World Baseball Classic perhaps being the most star-studded ever. Now, I, I got to cover the one in 2006. It was one of the first big events I got to cover when I got my career started, and there were an awful lot of stars there. But I think now when you look at it and you get the best player in the world, Shohei Ohtani, and the guy who was the best player in the world before Shohei Ohtani captured that title, if you want to call it that, it's his teammate Mike Trout is the captain of Team USA. I mean, that right there is a great start your star power but you looked up and down the Dominican Republic lineup which was supposed to be taking them into the semifinals though spoiler alert they are going to be sitting at home watching this thing and then you looked at some of the other Latin American countries that love baseball have that passion for it want to go out there and compete and we'll talk about a couple of those in just a second and then looking at Otani leading team Japan you look at Cuba having its first opportunity to not only have Cuban born nationals but also to have any of the players who had fled Cuba and sought asylum to become Major League Baseball players, they could finally play for the Cuban team in the World Baseball Classic, and they have made it into the semifinals. Another mild spoiler for you. And as you look at Team USA, they were trying to build on winning it all in 2017. So a lot of storylines, anyway, have been tied into all of this, and there's been so much packed into this, but we've also found great stories, great people, and unfortunately, we've also seen some injuries that have gone on in this World Baseball Classic as well. And again, I will get into that in just a moment, but While injuries are an unfortunate part of the game, everybody that has watched these games, I think you can't question the passion of the participants for each one of these countries, and that passion, man, was it ever on display. In Miami last night, Team USA and Venezuela put on, I think, an all-time classic in the world baseball classic last night, and as you looked at what was seemingly going to be the storyline was, well, Team USA, they had it until they didn't, they blew it. Now Venezuela is going to build up this big lead, and they're going to have a chance with just six little outs to advance into the semifinals after already having knocked out the Dominican Republic. So Team Venezuela was sitting pretty good. That was until the eighth inning when things started to go awry. And Team USA loaded up the bases, and Trey Turner provided the kind of moment that not only Team USA, but I think baseball fans around the world can appreciate. The 0-2 to Turner, and he
0: throws this one.
2: Man, I'll tell you, just hearing that crowd explode and listening to the call there from Fox, I mean, I got goosebumps right now. It's pretty cool. And go-ahead grand slams are probably one of the most exciting plays you can have in baseball. But, man, when you give up a home run like that on an 0-2 pitch, I mean, anybody sitting at home on their couch watching or even in the stands was like, man, why don't you just waste one there? Why are you going to throw something he could hit at all? But be that as it may, Salvino Bronco, who pitched for the Braves briefly last year, he faced Trey Turner, and Trey Turner turned it around, put it over the left field wall, four runs scored on that. And the U.S. went from being down by a 7-5 score after Venezuela had scored four times in the bottom of the fifth to take that lead, and another time in the seventh. Two home runs from Luis Arias last night. He's a brand-new Miami Marlin. He was with the Twins last year, won the batting title, one of the members of Team Venezuela. And he had never had a multi-home run game in his minor or major league career. He had hit two home runs. It just seemed like everything was lining up, and the stars were aligning for Team Venezuela to knock off the U.S. And then Trey Turner... He turned all of that on his ear, and I think he said something to Ken Rosenthal in the postgame interview that Ken had with Trey Turner about why would you want to play a boring old spring training game? We could be playing games like this, and so I, I think that atmosphere speaks for itself. Again, a very exciting finish last night uh, in Miami, nine seven Team USA advancing on to face Team Cuba in the semifinal matchup, and then you've got Mexico and Japan on the other side of the bracket. Those are the final four teams, and the winners will go on and. Uh, We have so many endless possibilities here. It's going to be exciting. If it's the U.S. against Japan, Trout versus Otani, that would be pretty fun. If it's an upstart team like Mexico that knocks off a team like Japan, that would also be exciting. I think we've heard about Cuban baseball for a very long time. And, in fact, people, as I said earlier, they used to flee Cuba to come to the U.S. to have their baseball dreams play out. And now the Cuban team has a chance to go toe-to-toe with Team USA in this WBC. Now, one of the other things that we talk about and unfortunately have had to see a lot center stage in the World Baseball Classic over the past week is that injuries have been a storyline. And this is an unfortunate part of the game, and it can happen. Honestly, I've seen fluke injuries and celebrations before, but Edwin Diaz, to see the excitement for Team Puerto Rico in winning, Edwin Diaz slamming the door and then thinking, on to the next, right? And all of a sudden, after the camera's done panning around, you see Edwin Diaz is seated in the middle of the field, not far from the pitcher's mound. And all of a sudden, the jubilation for the team, it really started to fade, and it faded very quickly. Diaz was taken off the field in a wheelchair with his leg elevated, and we found out the next day, the Mets announced that Diaz tore his patellar tendon in the midst of that celebration. He's going to have to undergo surgery and will miss the 2023 season. That, of course is terrible news for baseball in general because Diaz is the best reliever in baseball, at least he was last year, and for the Mets, that's a terrible blow. And then we saw even in the Team USA and Venezuela game on Saturday night, you know, a hit-by-pitch for Jose Altuve may have broken his thumb. He may miss some time for the Houston Astros. And again, these injuries, they can happen basically at any time in the game and for a variety of reasons. And unfortunately, it's just part of the WBC, but I don't think this should devalue the importance and the excitement around this tournament uh, regardless. A cool WBC story. Let's throw one of these out there to take the edge off some of this injury talk. Duque Haybert, who is a 21-year-old Nicaraguan pitcher, he went out in a loss. You know, mind you, Team Nicaragua wasn't able to get past the Dominican Republic, but he went out and struck out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers in secession uh, against that Dominican lineup. And that's pretty good in any league. I don't really care to qualify it. And it was good enough to get Haybert an immediate contract offer from the Tigers. The scout offered it to him one hour after the game. So you come out, throw some nasty change-ups and good fastball, and you set down Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers, three guys that are going to be worth, I would say, by the time Soto signs his deal, about a cool billion dollars, and you're 21 years old, I think that you've passed a test right there. Uh, some other odds and ends of MLB news here on From the Diamond with Grant Macaulay on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. In addition to the slew of new rules that we've been talking about all spring long that are going to be adapted in 2023, MLB is going to go back to this well and crack down on foreign substances and pitchers utilizing those. So you can look forward to seeing more umpire checks, and we've seen a lot of those the past couple of seasons. It's now become pretty common to see the pitcher coming off the field at the end of an inning. He has to take off his hat and then show his hands to the umpire, and that pretty much is it. We haven't seen a lot of guys getting ejected, but over the last part, I believe, of 2021 and some of 2022, I guess the league and some teams have been concerned that pitchers are finding ways to subvert those rules and start using the spider tack or the sticky substances that baseball was trying to cut out of the game a couple of years ago. So now umpires are also supposed to look for suspicious behavior. So if you touch the inside of your belt, the back of your hat, I guess, and anywhere really on your person and you're a pitcher, they can just come out and do an unannounced check right there. And they can also do that to catchers. And that's something I had not seen before. So that's going to be something to watch out for. And I find it interesting that all this time we might be saving from the pitch clock could end up being wasted on all of these little trips out to see if the pitchers are using spider tack or not. But yeah, we'll see how that all plays out. Clubs can also be held accountable for this. If any of these substances are found in any of the common areas, like the dugout, the bullpen, tunnel, clubhouse, so on and so forth, team personnel could face discipline from the league for that. But this all comes from a league that has allowed, over the past few years, varying degrees of different types of baseballs to be used from a quality control standpoint. <sighs> I just find it to be fascinating that, you know, we can have a study done by an astrophysicist that determines by sampling the baseballs that there are different qualities of them. Some are going to fly further. Some of them are going to be basically a dead ball. You go through the entire 2019 season using some baseballs that used to fly like a ping golf ball, and then you swap it out for what amounts to a soft toss baseball for a kid, and balls are dying on the warning track in the playoffs. I don't know what the dichotomy here is for trying to police one effort to crack down on pitchers having an unfair advantage and then just be changing the baseballs without really telling the players one way or another. Just pretty odd. Another thing I found pretty amusing this week, the Yankees, you might be surprised to know, do not offer free Wi-Fi on their team charter. And this is the most first world of first world problems because we are talking about some very rich professional athletes. But Brian Cashman, the GM of the Yanks, said that uh, the players can afford it. Meanwhile, Brett Gardner, the former Yankee, I told Aaron Judge reportedly that his extension, his 300 plus million, nearly $400 million extension, that's the reason why all the other players are having to pay for Wi-Fi. I thought that was pretty amusing. Uh, another thing as far as MLB is concerned this week as we wrap this thing up, Apple TV and MLB Network broadcasts are finally going to take us inside the replay operations center when the replays are going on. And I have asked for this for quite some time. I just want to know what these guys are looking at because there have been plays that I have seen and the Alec Bone play two years ago comes to mind where I have to wonder, what did these guys see or not see that either held a call up and, and, and confirmed it or was not enough to overturn? And we're going to see a little bit about how that whole thing works. Just the Zoom operations center, that's what we're going to be seeing into. You had to sell a sponsorship before you could get inside there, but I guess that is what it is. But we're finally going to get a little bit of a look behind the curtain as far as replay is concerned, because those results... Most certainly very, and again, that Alec Bone play, I'm not going to forget about that anytime soon, and I don't think any Braves fans are. Uh, coming up next, though, we are going to start talking about one of the most interesting men who has stepped foot on a baseball field in the World Baseball Classic. Maybe any baseball field ever, I don't know. But this guy is uh, is one that has fascinated me, and I want to bring in Jake Mintz of Cespedes Family Barbecue. Jake, we can find your work over at MLB on Fox. I've followed you for quite a long time, what you guys have done. It's always fun to see what kind of stories you dig up and Over on the Fox site is where I found one of the most, I think, fun stories of the 2023 World Baseball Classic. We're going to get into Shlomo Lippets in just a bit, but first and foremost, thanks for making some time for me today.
0: I am happy to talk about Shlomo Lippets whenever, wherever, with whomever. So it is a pleasure to be here.
2: (laughs) Well, I absolutely love it, and I love this story. So the WBC gives us all kinds of different, I think, storylines and characters and whatnot, and... We've got an electrician out there striking out Shohei Otani. We had a shortened, perfect game of sorts this past week. We got players from all walks of life that find their way onto the same field somehow. And then, above all, I think we have Shlomo Lippitz, a pitcher from Team Israel, the only one on the roster who was born in Israel. And this may be one of the most fascinating stories and men in this entire tournament. Your article is one of the most fun stories I've come across just in general. So what initially got your attention when you came across the name of Shlomo Lippitz?
0: So, yeah. I'll take you through how I came to write this article. I first saw Shlomo Lippitz's name with my eyes. I want to say back in 2013 when Israel competed in the WBC qualifiers in Brooklyn. It did not make it out of the qualifiers into the WBC. But when you see a name like Shlomo Lippitz, Mm -hmm. it stands out. And it stood out even more considering that he was one of the few players on that team that was actually born in Israel. Same thing happened again in 2017 when they made the WBC and they made a run winning their pool in Korea against all odds. And Shlomo Lippitz, I believe, appeared in that WBC. He was on the Olympic team again in 2020 or I guess 2021 in Tokyo. But the time where his name really got in my head, when I graduated college in 2017, I moved to New York City and I started playing adult league baseball in Central Park and Shlomo Lippitz was this legend, this mythological figure in the, like, men's league New York baseball world. Wow! And so once his name kind of popped up in that space, and it combined with the fact that he was on Team Israel, that's when I started realizing that this was a guy who was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And then once he popped up again on the roster as a 44-year-old for this WBC... I knew that I needed to dig in all the way.
2: All right, so this guy looks different than your run-of-the-mill baseball player. And your description as you open up your article, the various like movie characters and and folk heroes, if you will, I I mean, this guy apparently has to be seen to be believed. So if you could paint the picture of Shlomo Lippitz, his style, not just the baseball player, but the man himself.
0: So I don't remember exactly the way I phrased it, but it was like part Kenny Powers, part Batman- Uh, because he's always called upon for team Israel, Paul Bunyan, Walter Johnson, right? There are all these things. And and what I want to kind of get across, which I, in retrospect, maybe did it in the article. Kenny powers is a goofball, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Shlomo Lippitz is not, he is serious. Okay. His story is similar to Kenny powers in that he's just popping up around the world playing baseball. But Shlomo Lippitz, to him, this is not a joke. Right. Okay, he is 44 years old and still doing this because he still thinks he can get outs. And I respect the heck out of that. But he is this mythological figure in the world of Israel baseball. Part of that is because he's like the oldest of this first generation of Israeli baseball players. Part of it is that he was on the first ever national team that Israel ever had when he was 11 years old. They had a Little League team in 1990 that lost 50-0 to in its first ever game to Saudi Arabia. No mercy. He was on that team, and he's still on the team now. And the way that international competition works, I should kind of explain, is for Israel to kind of bubble up through the world of European baseball, they have to use players who are Israeli citizens. In the WBC, it is all about being eligible for citizenship. And because every American Jew is eligible for citizenship, in Israel, they are eligible to play. That is why you have Jock Peterson playing right. and you have other American Jews. Uh, Garrett Stubbs is playing, right? That's Max Freed on the Braves is eligible if you wanted to play, even though they're not Israeli citizens. For international competition in Europe, you have to be a citizen. And okay. so because of that, the rosters are not as good for those competitions. And because of that, a guy like Shlomo Lippitz, who is throwing 75 miles an hour sidearm and throwing a lot of strikes is dominant in that type of setting and why he carries that level of heft in this community
2: i think that's just incredible and at this age he's kind of like i guess the israeli jamie moyer if you will i mean the career just doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon I'm going to link this article for the listeners on the podcast and the show. You'll be able to find it, of course, at Fox Sports. It details everything from the incredible and unlikely story that we've touched on a little bit of that got him onto a WBC mound and everything else in his life journey. And as he's pitching in the World Baseball Classic at age 44, I thought this was fascinating. He's not even the oldest pitcher in the tournament, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. He got a late start in his baseball career. You talked about that with a lot of, shall we call them, side quests, which includes some mandatory military service.
0: That is true. So all Israeli citizens have some level of mandatory military service. There are ways to kind of sidestep it or reduce the extent of that military service. And Lipitz applied for a special athletic exemption that allowed him to forego combat duty. And that played a huge role in allowing him to be around the game at that time in his life where like if you don't pick up a baseball between age 18 and 21, like you're probably cooked, right? And it's not as if Shlomo was playing travel ball or even men's league at that time. He was Mm -hmm. just able to throw, able to play catch, able to be around the game for those three years so that once he left the military, uh, when his service was over, I believe at age 21, he had been playing some level of baseball so that when he moved to San Diego, less than three weeks after leaving the army, he was good enough that he could walk onto a field at a junior college and not be completely laughed out of the building. That, I think, is a really important thing to understand.
2: Yeah, and I think that's just incredible, and it speaks to the dedication that it takes to keep yourself in some kind of playing shape to be able to resume what is more than just a career for him as far as professional baseball is concerned. This is clearly a lifelong dream for him. What and who found Slow mo Lippets? I mean, it sounded like from his college days, he just kind of walked on quite literally to find himself a college career. But when it comes to taking that next step and getting the limited amount of professional time that he got in between his college days and the World Baseball Classic action that he's had, how did this guy stay and maintain himself in the game for the better part of two decades? Well, that's what's funny,
0: right, is that there is no next step. There is no career there is really no professional career and i'll talk about the limited professional career that there was but yeah. he didn't really get found like he made himself get found he showed up at san diego mesa junior college in the fall of 2002 and developed a friendship with a coach wonderful name cordell hippolito okay. who is now a dominican uh league complex coach with the dodgers And Hippolito just liked Lippets. He liked that he had been in the military. Lippets at this point was pretty old, right, for a freshman. He was like 22. And Hippolito, I believe, was only in his mid-20s. And so they became actual friends. And Hippolito played catch with him like almost every day over that winter. So when spring came and San Diego Mesa wasn't that good and needed arms, Shlomo Lippets was a legitimate option. And his velo jumped about 15-ish ticks between when he showed up and when he graduated He ended up transferring to the University of California, San Diego, which is now D1 at the time, D2, and became their closer and was throwing mid to high 80s sidearm, getting outs and, you know, posting real stats and real baseball. It helped that he was older than everyone else, obviously, and that came to hurt him when he wanted to play pro ball after college. So as a 20, then 25 year old graduate, teams are like, yeah, this is not worth our time. He had some conversation with the Dodgers and the Giants at that point, but ended Mm -hmm. up pitching semi-pro in Mexico, ended up, I believe, teaching Hebrew school in San Diego at that point. But everything changed for him, I think, in 2007 when – I think I wrote this in the article – a Jewish bagel mogul Mm -hmm. from Boston, his whole business model, this guy, I think his name is Larry Barris. Mm -hmm. He was like, what if we sold bagels without the hole? (laughs) And we called it unholy bagels. I mean, my man invented bread again, but he made (laughs) millions. He made enough money that he could literally fund a league in Israel that allowed a lot of Israeli players to come over and played a big role in kind of fostering interest in the sport over in Israel and allowed Shlomo Lippitz to get that one little bit of professional time. And boy, oh boy, he dominated, I believe, 27 or 29 innings with an ERA under one. And that was kind of when he really started getting involved with pitching for Israel at the international level. Yeah. And after
2: reading the article and hearing a little bit about that, I was surprised to see the guy has a baseball reference page, which to me, I mean, that proves that you made it at least a little bit, but it only had that one year of professional experience there. And it was listed, you know, just as a foreign league. So. A little bit different than what you might expect of maybe a journeyman type pitcher that just kind of hung on and finally got to, you know, play some of this world baseball classic action and be on the field with some of the best and brightest in the game at any given time. As I'm wrapping up here with uh, Jake Mintz from Cespedes Family Barbecue, there's a little bit more meat on the bone on this Shlomo lipid story. And you touched on it a minute ago because even his style on the mound is different. But the description you had of him, sometimes a mullet or all the time a mullet, but occasionally he's got a mustache. And one other view very interesting little attribute that he might have in on a given day if you catch him at the right time.
0: Well, so in reporting the story out, I had like three or four people be like, yeah, you know, he's like six, four, and he's like a big guy and like his hair is crazy. And he sometimes is like wearing a kilt. And then sometimes he has a gold tooth. Okay. And all the pictures I found (laughs) of Shlomo, I could not find any of him with a gold tooth, but like five different people brought this up to me. And so I was like, it has to be true. But it's just so hilarious. I forgot to ask him about the gold tooth, to be honest with you. I will actually follow up with him about that. Okay. But right, his style off the field, one person said he dresses like a magician. He comes from a different baseball environment that you and I are not used to, right? Like we have this very established kind of American baseball vibe where guys handle themselves a certain way. He does not have any of that. He is not from here. He grew up in Israel in a place that did not have a baseball culture when he started. And so he is the baseball culture of that country. He is like the godfather of it. And so he has gotten to dictate it. And the one last thing I really think is important to touch on is he has like a really important day job. Like he has like a big job. He probably makes more money than we do by a lot. And he is the vice president of something called City Winery, which is one of the biggest live event venues across the country there are 15 different locations i believe there's one in atlanta there's five up here where i live in new york they're everywhere he is in charge of booking all of the musical acts for all of these places he oversees a team of like 15 people he's on work calls during the wbc i got an email from shlomo talking about you know exchanging correspondence from him at 6:15 p.m. 45 minutes before first pitch for Team Israel. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's like going through and doing work stuff like during the games. Okay, this is a very, very different situation than Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna Jr. And when I asked him about this, he was totally serious. He was like, look, Acuna before his WBC games is getting a workout in. He is getting a massage. He's taping his wrists, whatever. I'm doing what I need to do to be ready. For my job which is to respond to emails and do work calls and he's doing the same thing and I was like yeah when you put it like that it makes a lot of sense
2: it's truly like a huge circle of life so my final question for you then because as I mentioned even his style on the mound is different he's a sidewinder who throws in the mid to maybe high 70s on a good day it may not look like the typical wbc recruit but this is kind of I think a case where shlomo lipids is kind of like the millennium falcon it may not look like much at times or it may just look different but he's got it where it counts. And that, I think, has helped him persevere for the better part of two and a half decades to realize his version of this baseball dream and kind of become a larger than life character in the game in his country.
0: Absolutely. I mean, he is Israel baseball. He has been there since the beginning, he is on the roster now. He thinks he can get these guys out. Like he genuinely believes that to his core. That being said, the fact that he's here at all is a testament to who he is. And you know, he's pitching in 3 or 4 men's league games in New York a week. He's lifting every morning. Like he is keeping himself in good enough shape where he can still get outs and I mentioned this earlier, like this fall, I believe, are the European Championships that Israel is playing in. And I already talked to the GM of that team. Mm-hmm. Shlomo will be there. He will be on the roster. He will pitch in that tournament. Like he's not done. This is not a swan song for him. It's just another moment on the road of one of the most fascinating careers in baseball I've ever seen.
2: Just incredible. Jake Mintz with his Family Barbecue. I appreciate all of your time. Uh, let the people out there know where they can connect with you and where they can see your work. And if you got anything in the pipeline right now, maybe what's up next for you.
0: So I do like a million different things, including cook dinner, but that's not available to everybody listening. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I write over at MLB on Fox, foxsports.com, download the Fox Sports app. You can just find all my work. On there, I do a podcast for Sirius XM called Baseball BarbaCast alongside my good buddy Jordan Schusterman. I do a Division One baseball podcast as well because I can't get enough of this silly sport. So that's where you can follow me on Twitter at CespedesBBQ or at I think it's Mins underscore Jake or Jake underscore Mins. I don't know, just search it. I'm the one who's talking about baseball
3: well
2: i love it and i appreciate you talking about baseball here on from the diamond with grant mccauley this week and hopefully as the uh, season wears on there'll be another big story where we can get together and talk about somebody who might just be a larger than life baseball character who comes literally out of left field or i don't know ends up on the pitcher's mound either way thanks so much for your time i appreciate it absolutely don't go anywhere much more braves and baseball talk coming your way on from the diamond with grant mccauley right here on sports radio 92.9 the game and Welcome back in. This is From the Diamond. Grant McCauley with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We are nearing the end of our journey in this two-hour edition of the show. If you like what you've heard, though, I always invite you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And how could you not like what you heard about the legend of Shlomo Lippitz? I think that might be one of my favorite baseball names ever. And the story is just as fascinating. Really appreciate Jake Mentz of Cespedes Family BBQ joining me. And, of course, you can find that interview and so much more in the archives for today's show. And if you've missed anything or just want to hear some of the interviews I did from Braves Spring Training, all of that is available from thediamond.com. It's a great place to find that. And with all of that said, it's time to turn our focus back to the Atlanta Braves, who are getting closer by the day, as we all are and across Major League Baseball, all 30 teams are, to opening day. It's going to happen on March the 30th. And a couple of guys that the Braves are going to have their eyes on, they've had their eyes on them for a while, and Braves fans certainly have. You know them. You love them, and the Braves are certainly depending on these young stars to help drive this uh, this club to a 6th consecutive division title. I speak, of course, of Ozzie Albies and of Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Ronald really started to heat up toward the end of the World Baseball Classic. That was great to see, but for Ozzie Albies, this just felt like a very important spring for him. We found out early on that he had had to have a cleanup procedure done on his shoulder, and you throw that into the mix of, well, he broke his foot last year. As soon as he got back after missing half the season, well, then he broke a finger trying to you know slide into second base, and it just was a lost year for Ozzy Albies. But despite all of that, you know, as he turns his eyes towards twenty twenty three, he wasn't quite ready to let go of the twenty twenty two season. And he was working and working and working to rejoin the Braves if they had that deep playoff run. So Uh, Let's hear from Ozzie Albies and some of the things he had to say back at Braves Fan Fest about what his overall mindset is heading into the spring training and the regular season in which he's hoping to get his career back on track. But he was ready, if the Braves needed him, to jump right back into that lineup.
3: I was ready. If we won that series against the Phillies, I was about to be activated and ready to go. I was keeping myself ready, every day working. I mean, obviously not on the field, so nobody could have seen me and stuff like that, but I was ready to go if we won that series against the Philly. And, I mean, there was something freaked what happened. So all I can say was I was mentally ready for if we advance against the Philly to be ready to help the team win.
2: Clearly, there's a lot of frustration when you have a season that is marked by injury the way that Albies was in 2022. But you wouldn't know it from speaking to the young Braves second baseman who's always trying to keep these things in perspective.
3: I'm a positive guy, so anything happens, I always try to be on the good side. You know, you got to think positive for good things to happen. If I think negative, bad things will happen. So things happen, like I said, and on the foot one, I kind of knew it was coming because I was playing on it, and we already had, like, a plan, like, hey, you got to take care of that. I'm like, no, i just going to keep playing, and... Uh, you know, it happened, I stayed positive, and then the other one happened, I stay positive till today. I don't think that's something I will stop doing.
2: One year after losing Freddie Freeman, it was Dansby Swanson who departed over this past winter. Dansby and Ozzie really came up through the farm system together and worked together at the major league level for quite a while, all be sized up what the shortstop position could look like and working with either Von Grissom, Orlando Arcia, or really anybody else that the Braves might have in their plans at some point.
3: Dansby's Dansby. I don't compare anybody. They all play their game, so they're going to fill in and play as hard as they can. I know that for sure. They're not just going to play the positions. They're going to play it with pride and joy.
2: Not long ago, Ozzie Albies found himself as one of the youngest players in Major League Baseball thrust into an everyday job, kind of like Von Grissom did in 2022. As for what advice Ozzie would give Grissom as he tries to establish himself here this season, well, that's pretty simple.
3: Just play like I do. Play hard every day, you know, no matter what it takes, no matter how you feel. Because you're not going to feel 100% every day. So my advice to him will be just play the game hard. Do what you got to do. Be ready for every pitch, and that's it.
2: The Braves will find themselves motivated to bounce back from their loss against the Phillies in the National League Division Series. After winning the NLEs for five consecutive years, the Braves will look at that as the first box they want to check in a March through October, and that is winning the division for a sixth consecutive year.
3: We got far for all the things we have gone through the season. We always never let our guards down. We keep playing hard no matter what. No matter who it is that night it can be like we had before max free comes and walk off the game it doesn't matter who comes and set the tone for the team we just keep battling all the 27 outs and that's what this team does really good
2: even though both swanson and freeman have moved on in the not so distant past all and the braves don't feel like they're going to be hurting when it comes to leadership
3: we're a team i mean we lost two of the main guys that you know set the tone for the whole team like we when you're used to a friendship and a leadership in the clubhouse, it's different than when they're not there. So I'm for sure somebody's going to step up, even if it is me. It doesn't matter who it is. We're going to step up and play the role all the way on.
2: Let's well, second baseman Ozzie Albee is discussing just a couple of the things that he has been you know, focusing on as he has been ready for spring training for, I would say, a while. I mean, he's probably been ready to get into spring training since injury took him off the field at the midway portion of last year. If he wasn't going to get a chance to get back into the 2022 swing of things, then Hey, could he get the opportunity to just come into 2023 with a clean slate? I want to talk to Brian Snitker, and you heard it a couple of weeks ago on from the Diamond here on 92.9 The Game, from the Diamond with Grant McCauley, of course. I got to chat with Snit about it, and I asked him, you look at Ronald Acuna Jr., you look at Ozzy Albies, what those two guys could bring to the table this year. I don't think it could be overstated because think of all the winning that the Braves did last year and how powerful the Atlanta offense was when you didn't have full-strength Ronald Acuna Jr., and for half the year, you didn't have Ozzy Albies at all. Ozzy Albies as a central figure for the Braves has been the case really since he came onto the scene in 2017 at the big league level. He's had multiple 20 home run seasons. He had a 30 home run season in 2022. And I jumped on fan graphs to see where exactly do all the projection systems have Ozzy Albies this year. They've got seven different projections. It used to be just two lines, but pretty much every one of these projections has Ozzy Albies with a 2020 season. And with 80 or so runs knocked in, with another 80 or so runs scored, I think both of those numbers are fairly low. When you think about Ozzy in 2021, he knocked in 106 runs. He scored 103. He had 30 homers. He had over 40 doubles. He had 20 stolen bases. That's the kind of possibilities you have with a young player like this and a guy who is in the prime years of his career as he heads into this season. So... I would expect a little bit more of that from Ozzy Albies. But as far as expectations are concerned, and as we continue with our player preview and we want to turn our attention to Ronald Acuna Jr. now, there is an awful lot of expectation on Ronald Acuna Jr. on every single baseball field he ever sets foot on. And the reason why is because he has a chance on every single field he sets foot on to be the best player in that stadium on that day. And that's what the Braves have come to expect from a player with Ronald Acuna Jr.'s very particular talents. We just didn't see enough of that in 2022, that style of play. But let me tell you, it's, it's all still in there. This is a guy who's incredibly good. I think we saw some encouraging signs in the World Baseball Classic because he was really swinging the bat well against Team USA on Saturday night. So let's hear a little bit about Ronald Acuna Jr. And let me let Ozzie Albies kind of set the expectations for Ronald because this is what his buddy had to say about what he's expecting as we preview Ronald Acuna Jr.'s 2023.
3: I expect him to be better than the 2019 Ronald. Like when he went all off, I think he's going to have a big year this year. You know, last year he came back kind of still playing on not a 100% knee. So I think this year we talked to him, he said he feels better. I think he's going to have a crazy year. The
2: 2019 season remains Ronald Acuna Jr.'s best full season to date. In 156 games, he was just three steals away from a 40-40 season. 41 homers 37 steals he scored 127 runs and knocked in 101 more at his place in the leadoff spot it would not be surprising to see him score well over 100 runs yet again this year to knock in 100 runs and to approach those 40 homers and perhaps those 40 steals as well I asked Ronald Acuna Jr. with these changes to the bases and the pickoff moves does he expect to steal more bases in 2023 and he answered in the affirmative
0: I feel like I always want to steal bases, you know, that's sort of my mentality. I always want to take an extra base.
3: I always want to score on any play that I can. And so definitely the rule change is something to
2: take into consideration, but you got to get there first. You absolutely have to find your way on base first. And If Ronald Acuna Jr. is flirting with a 400 on base percentage, I predict there being a lot of stolen base opportunities for him. It wasn't difficult to look at Ronald Acuna Jr. last year and know that he was fighting through something at different times throughout the year. He never really appeared to be fully comfortable. The power numbers never really showed up. And even with the stolen bases, there were still nights where you looked out there and thought something just wasn't quite right with the Braves star right fielder. In fact, he wasn't always in right field. He spent a lot of time at DH last year, something he does not want to be doing in 2023. As he worked his way back into the lineup and looked to stay there throughout the course of the season, Travis Darnot said his teammates saw the work that went in each and every day.
1: I saw him grind through the whole year to, to make sure he was able to play all the time and all the work he was putting in to make sure he could play every day. Um, something that people on the outside don't see, but in the clubhouse you see it every single day. I'm happy for him. He's going to be a, a fully healthy the whole year. I think it's going to be pretty special. I know I've seen it a few times here, and it's indescribable and unfathomable of the kind of show he could put on, especially when he's hot. I think he's going to be a huge help for us this year, and it's going to be special. Acuna was one of the
2: many Braves position players to report early for spring training. Braves manager Brian Snitker discussed what he expects from Acuna following the team's first workout in Northport on February sixteenth.
1: He's another one too that had a normal offseason and could train and and do everything. And so I, I'm sure he's really anxious to get a full season going when he's feeling good and, and healthy and strong. So, you know, I'm sure he's looking forward to this thing getting tipped off. Well, let me tell you,
2: Ozzy Albees is about as fired up for Ronald as he is for his own season. And one of the big reasons why is when you watch Ronald Acuna Jr. play, you know that he can do something special on any given night that you're just not going to see anybody else be able to do. And Ronald, back in 2019, was three stolen bases away from a 40-40 season. That's something that's only been done by a handful of players. Jose Canseco first did it in 1988. You had Barry Bonds do it. You had A-Rod do it. So if somebody can get to a 40-40 season... That right there is a special thing, and you don't need me to tell you that because 30-30 seasons are rare in today's games. But as you look at Ronald and his overall talents, you know that the speed was still there last year, even if the knee was bothering him, 29 stolen bases. But it was really discouraging, I'm sure, for him to see the power numbers take such a dip last year. Only 15 home runs for Ronald Acuna Jr. a year ago, this despite playing nearly 120 games. He just was not the same player. He scored 71 runs, he knocked in 50 as well, and those are numbers that were down just as far as the rates are concerned. I mean, he scored 127 runs during his near 40-40 season of 2019, so I did the same thing with Ronald Acuna Jr. that I did with Ozzie Albies. I went back and looked at all the projections for him to see exactly what they're expecting out of these guys. And with Ozzie Albies, if you look at wins above replacement, they're looking at about a 4-win season, which let me tell you is pretty good. With Ronald Acuna Jr., pretty much every single one of these is between five and six wins, and that would put you pretty much into the top 10 or 15 players in the National League in wins above replacement. But every single one of these in your good old-fashioned counting stats, 30 home runs, thereabouts, maybe a couple are not as excited about it, but the ones that aren't as excited about the home runs haven't projected at nearly 45 stolen bases. But pretty much, if you put this together in the aggregate, You're looking at a 30-30 season with about 110 runs scored and somewhere in the neighborhood of 80-plus runs batted in, and that's because he hits leadoff. You're not always going to knock in the most runs as a leadoff hitter because the bottom of the order is typically not going to get on quite as much. I know a lot's been made about that over the past few years, about whether or not Ronald Acuna Jr. should move somewhere else. I think your most dynamic player and your best player should get the most at-bats, the most played appearances on the team, and leadoff's a pretty good spot for Ronald Acuna Jr. to do that. So I would say the expectation is, once again, with Ronald, sky's the limit. This is a guy that could go out and play at his MVP level of 2021 and kind of take care of some unfinished business. And you know he wants to be in that lineup come October as the Braves look to put their sights on another World Series championship as they did back in 2021. And Ronald, unfortunately, didn't get to be a part of that. One other note, if you will, about Ronald Acuna Jr. Also, uh, Eddie Rosario, both of those men are returning from the World Baseball Classic. They'll jump back in the great Fruit League lineup for the Braves very soon. Overall, I think we saw some great things at the plate from both of those guys Ronald was blistering the baseball the last couple of games. Eddie Rosario, I went through and looked at the numbers for him, the exit velocities for all the balls that he was putting in play, and we're looking at typically 90-plus and several hundred-plus mile-an-hour balls and only one that he put in play that was under 90 miles an hour. So that should tell you Eddie Rosario is seeing the ball well. He's hitting the ball well. And if the Braves have Eddie somewhere in the, what, seven, eight spot in the lineup perhaps, this is an incredibly deep lineup. The return of Ronald, the return to form for Ronald, uh, the return of form for Ozzy Albies, throwing all that together, you've got an awful lot of good things between all of those men. And then you throw in Michael Harris II, Austin Riley, Medals, and both the catchers that the Braves have, and Sean Murphy and Travis Darnot, and whatever they're able to get out of the DH spot. This is going to be a lineup that's going to take the Braves, I think, right where they want to get. And that, of course, is deep into October. And now we've gotten deep into this episode up from the diamond, and it's about time to put a bow on it. But some good things going on for the Atlanta Braves as they round out their spring training. We've seen some real big things out of the fifth rotation spot. Is it going to be Jared Schuster? Is it going to be Dylan Dodd? We're going to find out, of course. Braves have a handful of games this week, the last full week of games in Grapefruit League play. They'll have the Tampa Bay Rays on Monday. They're off on Tuesday. Tigers, the Mets, the Red Sox, a couple of games against the Twins, and then one more against the Pittsburgh Pirates is going to be happening uh, about a week from now, as they look to wind up just healthy, heading into uh, the break the day right before the season will start, which, of course, is March the 30th, and get things going for the regular season. Uh, that'll wrap things up here, though, on this episode of From the Diamond. I want to thank my guests again, Jake Mintz of Cespedes Family BBQ and Martin Zuckerman of Masson, who also joined me to talk about the Washington Nationals again. You can find all of those great interviews and all the other great stuff we do here on From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts and every Sunday here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Until next week, I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond.